Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and co-parents of all ages, this podcast is for you. Introducing in the center ring, the amicable divorce expert, Judith Weigel. Welcome back to our Celebrity Divorce Series. We do it the last Wednesday of every month, and we have the perfect attorney joining us. We have Lamar Mujid. Dehiazad. Okay, I'm doing it again. Lamar Mojdahiazad. Lamar, I have practiced this over and over, but I nailed it, right, Mojdahiazad? You nailed it. You nailed it. Maybe we do my handle is easier for you. Lawyer Lamar might be easier for you. Okay, and I love Lawyer Lamar too, (laughs) running around Beverly Hills in greater Los Angeles solving cases left and right. And you're the perfect attorney for this because you post about these things. You are very active on social media and because you're a family law attorney and so many of these people live in Los Angeles, I really think it's great that you post about aspects of the case that can relate to the average citizen's case. And that's why we do the Celebrity Divorce Series. It's just a little bit of fun taking somebody in the news, but taking the aspects of the case, not weighing in or judging them, and then applying it to the law that could affect the average citizen's case. So, Lamore, thank you very much for joining us again. Thank you for having me again. Let's start with Johnny Depp and Amber Heard because they're in the news. I watched some video testimony. Have you? Yes, I've been watching every second, every second of it. You know, some days I have to pause a little bit because I have a a real job, but I've been watching every second of it. It's so fascinating because we've grown up adoring Johnny Depp in so many different movies. The man is eminently talented. Um, He has dated models. You know, he does like really beautiful women. He started out with Kate Moss a million years ago. But then interestingly, he had this very long-term relationship, not marriage, but relationship with French model and singer Vanessa Paradis. And they had two children. Yes. Yes. So then that ended, but it sounded like it ended amicably. Nothing in the news, nothing to follow. He started dating Amber Heard, and in 2015, they got married, but very shortly thereafter, 2016, they divorced. Now, I want to throw this to you for a second. Do you, as a family law attorney, see heightened anger and anxiety in extremely short-term marriages, more so than long-term marriages? Yes. You know, it's either that or neither of them care about everything except the paperwork to get divorced, right? It's either one extreme or the other when the short term, the short duration marriages. And the short duration marriages tend to come after a decent, if not very lengthy courting time. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So me as a non-attorney, but you know, paralegal filing, um, I kind of looked at this as hopes and dreams dashed way too soon. And so you don't really know where to put that emotion. That's all I came up with because I find it, I just find it fascinating that it happens so often. 
Yeah, it happens often. It happens, you know, when two people, which I think Amber Heard and Johnny Depp fall into this, when they're so addicted to one another. Like, in what world is Johnny Depp marrying a 20-something-year-old with no prenup? With no prenup. You you must have been so head over heels for this woman because like you said, I loved the world we lived in before. We didn't know anything about Johnny Depp's personal life. He was just a legend, an icon, living on this earth, giving us great entertainment, right? We didn't know anything about his personal life, probably because there was nothing to know, like you said. And then he starts dating this woman, marries her and look at how it all blew up. And, you know, during the trial you hear, he's been paying for a lot of his friends' homes, right? He's been supporting a lot of people. He has the two children he's supporting. He supports Vanessa. And you think to yourself, there's no way in hell this man didn't get a prenup. But yep, he didn't get a prenup. And, all you know, helping all of these other people, supporting all of these other people, but you were willing to throw that all to shit for this woman. That just, you know. You know, I never even thought about that. All I was going to talk about with this particular marriage was domestic violence, which we'll get to in a second, and all aspects of how domestic violence affects different parts of a divorce. Yeah. But in last month's celebrity divorce series, I did Oscar divorces. Mm. And since Steven Spielberg was up as a director for West Side Story, I looked at his divorce with Amy Irving. He was already, he had already amassed a $400 million fortune. He already had the top lawyers in Los Angeles representing him in all phases of his life. He wrote a prenup on a napkin. Leave me with alone. Amy Irving. Leave me alone. Stop. Stop that. No way. No way. Yeah. No way. No. In what world? He wrote it on a napkin instead of throwing it open to one of his attorneys like he should have done and letting her get an attorney like she should have done. But she came out on it because in my understanding, and you can speak to this, the validity of a prenup is that it meets certain standards so that it holds up in court if questioned, what are those standards? Um, so, so some one of the main standards is that it was not written under duress, right? It's voluntary. Everyone is on the same page. And that that is actually <laughs> the main part of it, right? So someone like, people come in all the time. I have an attorney who wrote a prenup. I don't really need the other side to get an attorney, right? No, no, no. Hold on. We need both sides to have an attorney. Because if Steven Spielberg has lawyers, those are mega lawyers, right? Who's not going to marry Steven Spielberg? You'll sign anything. And people say those things in court. I signed it because I was in love. We were in love. I signed it because I thought I had to. I didn't know what a prenup was. It was 300 pages. I couldn't read it. No, 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 no. We need to make sure you're signing declarations that say it was voluntary, that it wasn't done under duress. We need to, you know, in a case like Steven Spielberg or a Johnny Depp prenup, you have cameras in the conference room when they're signing. That's right. I had heard that. I do that. Before. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big, big prenups, you do that. Big prenups, you do that. English is a second language, bring in a translator, put it on video. Well, the upshot of that was Amy got 200 million of the 400 million because it did not stand up in court. Well, and, in, and just a little insight about me before I got into family law, I was producing live entertainment for private events. Mm-hmm. And 
Steven Spielberg's entertainment lawyer is a man named Bruce Raymer, well known in Los Angeles. And when I went to Bruce Raymer's house, that's where the wedding was held. Okay. In the living room, standing and talking like old buddies were his three longtime clients, Stephen, Jeffrey Katzenberg, and Clint Eastwood. I know. Okay. I had to breathe. I had okay. to breathe. Because so listen, <laughs> you write Harry Potter on a napkin. You don't write a prenup on a napkin. I know. I can't believe it. My mind is blown. I actually never knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I uncovered that when I did the research for last month's podcast because um, I was in town. I didn't grow up here, but I was in town when they got divorced. I, I came to mm. Los Angeles in 1989. And that was a big deal when that happened because Stephen was already an established uh, producer, writer with Jaws, Indiana Jones, Poltergeist. I mean, he had a lot of films under his belt. And Amy actually had a career of her own. She was an actress and she was doing some interesting things. But I never even thought about, because I was only focused on domestic violence for this particular discussion, never even thought about, and I didn't see anything written about not having a prenup. So here's my question, because I can't figure this part out. Are they actually divorced yet? Yeah, so um, Amber Heard filed in May 2016, and their divorce was entered January 2017. So the, this is now the civil trial Yes, that's this going is, this on is, with the domestic is, violence. Yeah, so this is playing out like a family law case, but it's not that. Johnny Depp decided, right. for whatever reason, not to, con- not to fight the domestic violence restraining order in the family law case in court. He settled the divorce without fighting that in court, right? Without having to tell his story. Okay. Um, and then he did the, the civil case against the son. And Amber Heard was a main witness for them and they won the case. And now he's going after Amber and it's playing out like a, like a DVRO trial, but it's not supposed to be that. So he's the plaintiff in the civil trial and she's the defendant. Yes, he's the plaintiff and he's also the counterclaim defendant because she filed a counterclaim too. Okay, let's talk about domestic violence and pretend that a family law divorce is about to begin mm-hmm. and there's domestic violence. First of all, Lamore, in order to use domestic violence as a piece of the divorce, don't you have to have evidence? Can we talk about what would constitute um, declaring domestic violence and having it be something that affects different pieces of the divorce? Yeah, great question. So, the process is a little bit, there's a lot of steps to the process. So the first step is to obtain a TRO, a temporary restraining order, right? You only have to show the court reasonable proof that there has been domestic violence. And I think that people think domestic violence, it has to be physical. No, domestic violence includes disturbing the peace. It includes emotional abuse. It includes coercive control, right? So you can go in with a declaration that says this person threatened to kill me, or this person has been texting me 300 times a day, or this person has been impersonating me on the internet, right? Or they won't let me access my bank accounts. These things 
right? As long as there is a domestic relationship between the couple, that's a domestic violence restraining order request. But during that process where you're first going in for a TRO, temporary restraining order, you just need reasonable proof. You don't need 20 witnesses to say anything, none of that. The court just wants to know. We're going to give you a court date to present your case to us, right? In about 25 days. We need to know right now, do you need to be protected? Just show us reasonable proof that we need to protect you. But what is reasonable proof, Lamar? So reasonable proof is just the declarant saying, I need protection because this person has done this or has threatened to do this, right? Temporary restraining orders are not a finding of domestic violence. They are just a finding of reasonable proof. You don't need text messages and photographs. It helps. It helps, but you don't need that for a temporary restraining For temporary. Order. But for permanent, then you actually do need a paper trail, evidence, because this could yeah. be very seriously damaging Absolutely. to somebody's reputation as Johnny Depp is declaring his career has been impacted by these charges. Right, exactly. So after the temporary restraining order, you get a date for a, a permanent restraining order. And it's really up to five years, right? We call it a permanent restraining order. It's up to five years. If you renew it, it could be permanent, but let's just not even talk about that part of it. But once you get to the hearing for a permanent restraining order, you have to show proof by preponderance of, of the evidence, right? So it's more likely than not that what you're saying is true. This is where bring your witnesses, bring all of your evidence. If you have a picture, but you didn't have time to attach it to your initial request, you better bring it to this hearing. This is where we need all the proof. But preponderance of the evidence isn't that high of a standard either. It's kind of like right here, right? Reasonable proof is kind of, eh. Preponderance is kind of in the middle, clear and convincing evidence, right? That's the one where you need to show me for sure something's happening. Police have been called, photographs have been taken, marks on the body, damage around the house. And no doubt, no doubt that these things happen. Nothing. But preponderance, more likely than not, they occurred, right? Johnny Depp settled out with Amber Heard before going to that hearing, right? They didn't have, she withdrew her temporary and they settled the whole case, which happened all the time. It happens all the time. People don't want to go against the preponderance of evidence, uh, burden of proof. They just don't want to. And it's always a better idea to settle your, your family law matters anyway. Right. right? right. But then you have him filing against the sun. You have him filing this case. And it's kind of like, well, this all initially happened in 2016. We kind of forgot about it. Why are you guys putting it on TV now? But you know, you can't blame him for wanting his story heard. Right. Um, But yeah, it's playing out like a family law case. Well, his story heard and the record corrected because if he hasn't been getting work because of this, getting the record corrected, I think is important. Absolutely. I think that's the only way Hollywood will give him a chance. His fans, his fans, if you look at my TikTok, his fans are still his fans. People are obsessed with this man. They will watch anything he's in. But I think in Hollywood, he's a liability, right? We have all this Me Too stuff that Amber Heard said. Right. We have um, we have all these, you know, behind the scenes things that all these actors and producers all of a sudden, out of nowhere, everyone has done some shit that we didn't know happened, right? And I think they just don't want to take on the liability. But who, you know, watching the testimony, I sit there and I'm like, 
I miss Johnny Depp movies. Like, I love this man. He's so likable. He's so hot. He's such a great storyteller. And obviously, he was abused by this woman. That is obvious. But we just, she needs to, he needs to prove that what she's saying is false, right? This is not a case of, did Amber Heard abuse Johnny Depp? Right? This is not that case. The case is, did the words that Amber say, Amber Heard put in that article, are those words true? A hundred percent that woman abused this man. A hundred percent. The evidence is there. Okay. So here's something else uh, from Johnny Depp. Johnny said that Amber has a need for violence. And this is this is a concept that's not often dealt with or talked about. So in, in most of our minds, it's men abusing women, right? We right. don't often think about the other, but the other does happen. It's just, I guess, it, it happened or it seems to happen more men against women. But when I started reading more about this case and Johnny saying Amber has a need for violence, he testified about how arguments with Amber escalated um, to the extent of him, her shoving him and throwing objects at him and then at some point him retaliating. Right. Which happened. So I wanted to talk for a minute about Emotional abuse leads to physical abuse. And this is something, before I even got into family law, I watched that people start with a lot of times verbally abusing somebody, emotionally abusing. And if they don't deal with their own anger, it's going to lead to physical violence. And I saw it happen with somebody that I knew very personally years ago. And it seems like maybe if Johnny did react, he reacted out of a reaction to her, maybe. That is for sure. I think that that is for sure. I don't think there's been any evidence that he's the aggressor, I think. And and this is what I was saying in the beginning. No one has come out and said anything against Johnny Depp. I don't know if it's because he's paying for everyone's everything, right? But they haven't come out and said that he is abusive. He was in a relationship with Vanessa for over a decade, right? She hasn't said anything. 14 years. Yeah, she hasn't said anything. And this would be the time, right? But they haven't said anything. So what the evidence has shown me so far is that they were in an abusive relationship. She was absolutely the aggressor but it was an abusive, toxic relationship. And listen, people are saying, I don't blame him if he reacted and and did something to her too. Sure, but that is still an abusive relationship. Whether she started it or he started it, those things don't matter in these types of environments. And especially when you're talking about the law and facts, it's very unfortunate. And like you said, a lot of men don't come out and say it, but you and I have seen it in practice. I have men come to me all the time and we file restraining orders for them or we're fighting a restraining order that should have never been obtained against them. Okay. Now, what if somebody has children? Let's go to the garden variety. Woman is abused by husband and there are minor children and she's the one that wants to file. He's not going to file. She wants to file for divorce. What type of protective measures are there for 
a woman or a person that wants to get divorced but is afraid of physical violence and harm once the petition is served on the respondent. The, the thing to do to protect yourself in that situation is to go in for a temporary restraining order. And you tell the court as part of your declaration, right? You say, I am scared to have the other party served, right? They don't know about the divorce until it's filed with the case number and you have to serve them. So you would tell the court, you know, I, I don't know what the exact proof in each case would be, but something like, I told my ex that I wanted to get divorced two weeks ago. He has told me if I ever file, he's going to kill me. A year ago, he threw me into the wall. I cracked the back of my head open, right? These are the things that you would need to tell a court, right? I am afraid because X, Y, and Z, here's the past of, um, history of abuse, right? These are the things you would want to present to a court and you want to tell the court, listen, I'm scared to start the process because of this, but I need to start the process but I need protection once he is aware that the process has started. Okay, now, I remember years ago when I was first starting out in this business, a woman was very much afraid and she had a minor child and she did not want her address to be mm -hmm. shared with her soon-to-be ex-husband. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, so... I think an important part of TROs to know or restraining orders in general is you can ask for protection for additional people and parents who live with their children and they're filing for a domestic violence restraining order absolutely can include their children on there. Whether or not there has been abuse against them, you can add them to your restraining order. It will likely get granted. But can you, can you um, choose an address? Yes, yes. So... Sorry. Yes, you That's absolutely okay. can. There are different programs. Um, oh, I think one of them is called Safe House, actually, where you can um, you can request. I think that's what it's called. I can look it up and let you know. But you can present to them the evidence or whatever it is, and get a get a different address for your court filings. Right? You get a different address for all your court filings because unless you have an attorney, you have to use your mailing address. And that mailing address is somewhere that you live, not a P.O. box, none of those things, right? right? You have to. But there are code sections that allow you to use some sort of other confidential address, or I believe you can put confidential and do not need to put um, your address on there and just keep it full. No, you're absolutely right, because on the form where you have to list where the children have yep. lived the past yep. five years, there's the box confidential. Yep. And I yep. know that this particular client of mine did give another address. I think it was one of those mail centers that doesn't yeah. have P.O. box. It looks like mm -hmm. a, real, a real address. Mm -hmm. But then th this brings up another point, and that is visitation for the father with the children. So is visitation stopped if um, a, a, a mom is contending extreme violence, extreme fear, the address cannot be known where the children are living? How does that work with visitation? If a mother can prove those things, then a court may be inclined to have supervised visits and have very limited supervised visits 
for the other parent with the children at a monitoring center where someone is writing a report before, during, and after the visit. Um, you know, during COVID, we saw a lot of Zoom visits for parents who'd never done anything wrong anyway, but we were doing Zoom. So that might be an option in those, in those cases as well. Um, you can request, you can request a supervised visit through a restraining order, obviously, but you can also request that in just a regular formal request to the court without, without a restraining order. Zoom visits are interesting. I hadn't thought yeah. about that. Yeah. You in can do extended, of- extended Zoom visits. You know how we do sometimes FaceTime calls? Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. That's interesting. And yeah. then lastly, in terms of spousal support, is there a connection between domestic violence and being the recipient of spousal support? And how does that work? So if there is, you said between domestic violence and spousal support? Right. If, if the victim of domestic violence is also going to be the recipient of spousal support, is there a connection between that? Is there... I don't know how else to ask the question. So there, so so this is how they're related. In a domestic violence restraining order, you can ask for several things: spousal support. You can ask for control of your uh, mobile device and for the other party to continue paying for your phone. You can ask for your rent to be paid. You can ask for the mortgage to be paid. You can ask for the other party to be kicked out of the house, and they have to be forced to pay utilities, electric, everything everything. So you're taken care of, right? Until the court figures out what's going on now. And obviously attorney fees and costs. But if you are found to be guilty of domestic violence in this, in, uh, if there's, if, if an order is protecting your partner against you, there is a code section that prevents you from getting paid by them. The victim is not giving you any monetary relief in this case because you are the perpetrator Mm. of domestic violence. So that's also codified. You would have to, you know, depending on whether or not that person actually requests it, you would have to bring that up and let, you know. Okay. So this, okay, let me just be clear because I just thought about something. So if the victim of domestic violence is the higher wage earner, allowing the perpetrator, the lower wage earner, in a normal case without violence to request spousal support, the perpetrator cannot because of domestic violence? Are you saying that? They, they can request it, but there are code sections that protect that victim, higher wage earner, payor of the support that prevents that payment to you if you were the perpetrator. Okay. Okay. Interesting. And I just want to finish this case because this is a little bit off the cuff, but it's just interesting. Um, the question was obviously posed, why did Johnny Depp stay with Amber Heard if, by virtue of some of their therapist testimony, there was mutual abuse? And as we just said a few minutes ago, you can push somebody who's docile to the point where they will react. I mean, you can take an animal, a a really loving animal, and if you uh, hurt that animal too much, they are going to lash out. So, you know, people being the same way. And Johnny said, uh, he was quoted as saying, he stayed with Amber in part because he was afraid of another failed relationship and he grew up within a failed marriage. And I just wanted to make a point and, and let you comment on it. 
that the past predicts the future unless we've gone through a lot of therapy and adjusted the way we turned out from the family life that we experienced. We will be our parents. We, we are prone to becoming uh, our parents without even thinking about it. So if we were abused as children, we might become the abusers because this is how we saw our parents. If we never saw a good, healthy relationship with our parents, we may have a very difficult time having one of our own. I, do you, I know this is ripe for a therapist couch, but do you have any parting comments on that? I completely agree with it. And you see it all the time. And, you know, especially in this case, yeah, he said Betty Sue, his mom would abuse his dad and his dad would never fight back and he would retreat. And that's what Johnny did in this relationship with Amber. Why it didn't happen before in other relationships or as far as we know, it didn't happen. I think that Amber Heard triggered something in him, right? And Dr. Kipper, I believe, testified that Amber grew up in similar in a similar environment, right? She's, I, I believe part of his testimony was that she is very sensitive to those environments, more sensitive than regular people because of her past experiences as well. So these are just two people who had that in their past. They got together. It was electric, obviously so electric. There was no prenup, right? So, you know, something was triggered. And like you said, like any other animal, you are not for the most part, sometimes just going to sit there and take it. Sometimes you can't just, you can't, it won't stop unless you take some sort of action, whether it's physical, a conversation, a word you say, whatever it is. Um, You know, so it's a sad situation all around. It's very, very sad. I know the cycle of violence is a tough cycle to get out of and, and something dramatic seems that it has to happen in order to break that cycle. And apparently it did in their case. Okay. Thank you for comments on that. Let's go to Billy Ray Cyrus. This is the complete opposite. This is amicable on steroids. And, and I love this, but interesting, just, just the bones of the Billy Ray Cyrus case. He was married to Tish for 28 years. They at two and had five children. I think it's five. Yes. Five children, Miley Cyrus being one of them. I do love her music, by the way. Yeah, she's cool. She's very cool. I do enjoy her as a performer. (laughs) So they had five children together, but at two different times throughout their extended 28-year marriage, each one of them filed for divorce and then dismissed. So let's just stop right there. People are able to dismiss a case. Let's make people feel good that if they realize at some point they don't want to go through with it, how do you dismiss a case? So if you, if you are the one who filed the case, right? And you get to a point where you're like, uh, okay, I've talked to the other party. I don't want to do it. Or you have, you know, uh, what is it called? Uh, buyer's remorse or whatever it is. So some regret. Uh, you just, remorse. Yeah, you just, you just, um, you file a dismissal, right? You just file this one form only requires your signature case will go away right? You withdraw your petition. But if the other party has already responded in the case, you both have to sign that document. Yeah. And then you can dismiss it. So so in their case, um, they dismissed it twice. Mm -hmm. And just recently they filed for divorce again. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be amicable. So 
I love long-term marriages when they file for divorce. The, the emotion isn't there. The fighting isn't there. They've lived their lives. Do you find the same thing? Yeah, they're exhausted and they're over it. <laughs> they're exhausted and they're over it. But the problem is in a lot of long-term marriages, what you see is one person has worked the entire time the other person has not worked the entire time. And they're at an age where if you're getting divorced, one person should support the other one for probably a really long time. And that's the part that gets very volatile, right? And you're splitting the assets and all of that, but they do want it just over. They're exhausted. There's no big, you know, it, it's very much, ah, we knew it was over 20 years ago. We wanted to wait till all, all of our kids were adults. <laughs> you well, see that? all the time. And that might be the case here too. <laughs> well, actually, maybe. But what they said was with each of the two previous filings, they went to therapy. And the, the therapy, therapy basically, yeah. yeah, prompted them to continue to work it out. Um, didn't really give the reason why this time was going to be the actual time. But it does bring up a couple things, Lamore. First of all, the date of separation. So on any petition, and I'm sure it's in any state, you need to name a date of marriage and a date of separation. What do those two dates mean? Let's do a little education for everybody. The reason why those two dates exist, at least in this state, is because... The reason they exist is because we need to know when did the community property start and when did the community property end, right? When everything in the middle from date, date of marriage to date of separation, at least here, we know that for sure, um, is community property. If you don't have a prenup, everything in the middle is community property. And that date of separation in, in marriages like that could be the difference of millions and millions of dollars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I don't think Billy has been recording over the last few years. I'm not sure. Well, didn't he have that song with uh, Lil Nas X? The... Oh, right. I forgot yeah. about that. I yeah. forgot. No, you're right. So what we have here then are a few things. We have a lot of community property. I'm sure they have real estate. We also have um, intellectual property and mm -hmm. royalties. Mm -hmm. Let's speak to that a little bit because it doesn't just mean with songwriters and performers, you could be an author, you could be any other type of writer. So, so intellectual property, how does that work as, as a division of an asset going forward? So we look at what came from that intellectual pro. Obviously we look at the date, but then we look at what, what actually came from it. So when you're looking at like you said, an author, if you're looking at books, if you're looking at the title of some, of some work that you haven't developed yet, right? Even that, even that. So when you have these types of cases, it is almost for certain that it's not just lawyers working on your divorce. It is business professionals. It is your manager. It is everyone who's involved in all these deals because it's not just your chunk of money we're talking about. It's the 50 other people who are going to benefit from this work of art or whatever it is, this, this piece of intellectual property, right? right? Right. So everyone's negotiating, everyone's figuring stuff out. And when Billy Ray Cyrus and Tish say it was therapy, I'm also sure it was some business meetings, right? If you guys do this now, this project's going to blow up. If you do this now, this project's going to blow up. Let's just wait, go to therapy, 
figure it out. I'm sure you guys can live through whatever it is that's going on, right? And let's do this when it's not going to be as messy. You see that a lot in Hollywood, a lot. All right, that's that's good to know. So with the long-term marriage, the intellectual property, oh, I know what I was going to say. Hold on a minute. When you said that, all these other people involved, uh-huh. I was thinking of Frankie Valley and um, Jersey Boys. Uh-huh. And when his divorce started, I remember reading that case and, you know, the, the Supreme Court of California got involved with the insurance policy, the, the life insurance policy that Mrs. Valley was saying his community property. Frankie said, no, I only got it because I thought I was dying. I was in the hospital. Then I didn't die. Then we go to make Jersey Boys. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading about that. So your point is so well taken on a lot of other people being affected by the divorce because there were all of the, uh, there was the Broadway show and each city that it toured in, there was publishing. You have Bob Bob Gaudio, the keyboard player, the other singer and the co-writer with all of those. And producers, directors, I mean, it was so much to unravel. And they, the money had kind of run out by the time Jersey Boys hit and revived his career. And all of a sudden, they're wealthier than they were back when he was recording. Right. There we go. Yep. That was really, so good point with the intellectual property. Um, I want to go to spousal support on this for a second. I had Lamar a case a few years ago and it was a $25 million settlement. I didn't even mediate it. The husband who made all the money, the wife never worked, said, we're going to split it down the middle. I can make more money. There's no big deal here. Brilliant. Beautiful. Yes. Smart. (laughs) Exactly. Why give it away? You can always make more money. Great. So they each walked with 12.5 million. Believe me, even though they came to my office, I made sure they sat with an attorney. Right. Right that I referred out kind of as a mediator so that there wasn't that privilege issue going on. Mm -hmm. And he said, with a settlement this large, there is no spousal support. Right, right. Because because we look at the division of assets as part of the um, the factors in, in spousal support. We look at that. How much money do you each have in the bank? You don't need more than $12.5 million. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So the house on sunset was paid for. All you do with the property taxes and the upkeep and maintenance. Uh, the kids were still minor children. So he took on the responsibility of all of their education. Beautiful. And put some insurance policies together for them. But that was the first time I had heard, and it made sense to me, so it was a learning experience for me, that at a certain point in the division of assets, if it's uh, significant enough, spousal su- the discussion of spousal support goes away because there are a million factors. There's like 20 or 12 yeah. or whatever, a lot. But need, doesn't need come in the number one position? It does, but they're all weighed differently, right? They're all there. So if, if she is a stay at home mom, which it sounds like that's, that's what happened. He was the wage earner, right? 
Um, oh yes, absolutely, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So she absolutely needs spousal support. That is just forget that, obviously, right? But once you get to how what well, how much do each of them have in assets? If it's 12.5 million, you don't really need spousal support now, right? So it's just, it's just the, you will weigh all of the factors, right? And if you have something that says 12.5 million, I'm not looking at, the need just goes all the way down at that point. You don't need it. Right. So when you're looking at spousal support in the state of California, and there are a lot of factors to, con- to uh, yeah, consider. Yeah, 20 factors, yeah. But then the other argument, I'm going to do devil's advocate on this one. The other argument is lifestyle. Can, can the lifestyle be assumed? So yes, you can keep the house that's already paid for and more than likely the property taxes, if you've lived in it long enough, may not be that high. Even if they are, you can pay for them. I would guess on the dividends that some of your investments would make. And the, the accountants have to be top-notch accountants in, right. in the lives of people on right. that ilk. So does lifestyle go out the door? It, 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 are numbers run on lifestyle in that situation? 12.5 million each? So if you're already getting the house and you're about to have 12.5 million in the bank, and the other person is now going from 25 million to 12.5 million. Okay, you're right. There. How else? Yeah, because the marital, I mean, I think people often think if we lived in a, five, in a 15 bedroom mansion, then I need to continue to live in a 15 bedroom mansion once we're divorced. That is impossible. Impossible, right? Because that would mean so does the other person right? You can't do that. (laughs) You can't do that. So it's as close to that marital standard of living as we can get. And when you have a case where everything is being split right down the middle and you're getting a house that's paid off, leave me alone. Just if you fight any of that, I mean, that's a joke. And she did not. I mean, these are the loveliest people. I cannot tell you. Send me these cases. These Uh, are the cases I would love to have. (laughs) No, it's so great. You know, I'll tell you, I think it's funny that lawyers get slammed a lot. In family law, there are two kinds of lawyers. There are lawyers who care and would never do anything untoward with fees and frivolous filings. Mm -hmm. And then there are those that it's a, just a feeding ground of money. And you can easily tell who those second lawyers are at a certain point because you will feel it. You will feel financially abused. But I say, and I wonder if you say the same thing, I'm fine not mediating. As long as you're coming to a great decision and it's mutual and you're easy to work with, I'm happy to take your case. I don't need to look at 20 days of mediation uh, to feed my pocket. I need people who respect one another, who want to follow the law and take care of the kids. Absolutely. If I have in writing that you are okay, with this settlement agreement, and you came to, to me with that initially, and I have reviewed it, and it looks fair, and you have been advised of what the law is and what you would be entitled to if we go to court, and you're fine with that, that's beautiful. That 
is a great, that is an ideal case for an attorney like me, right? We don't need to litigate anything ever, ever, right? But sometimes people don't see things the same way and that's why we all have jobs, right? But when people agree, your job is just to make sure they know the law, right? Right. And that they're okay with what they're signing off on. And if you're still going to make money, you don't have to make a million dollars on every single case. You don't need a six-figure payout on every single case. You are there to protect the interests of your client. And if your client is happy and they've worked things out, shame on whatever attorney, whoever it is, that would blow that up just to make a dollar. That is disgusting, but they exist. I know. Unfortunately, they do. But not with you. No, not with me. Not with you and not with all the other attorneys that appear on this show and that I know. I just... I feel blessed. I really yeah. feel blessed to be surrounded by exceptional attorneys. I really yes. do. Yes. All right. Now let's go to our guilty pleasure, Lamore. Mm-hmm. Vanderpump Rules. Oh, okay. Yes. We let's have go. Two <laughs> cases, two relationships out of Vanderpump Rules that are playing itself out on on all the other podcasts that these people have. These people have bigger four hundred one ks than anybody I know. And oh my. God. Oh my God. That is working our tushes off, and <laughs> these people are on TV making bank, but unfortunately their lives are falling apart. So they need us anyway. Yeah. So let's start with Katie Maloney and Tom Schwartz. Now, I have followed them forever since Lisa Vanderpump has been on TV, been to all of her restaurants. Have you? Yes, of Of course. course I've seen her at almost every single one of them, and I have approached her drunk before in West Hollywood. He is the nicest person. I'm so successful. And, uh, you know, condolences to Jiggy passing away. Being in doggy heaven. But, okay, Katie and Tom. Another example of being together much longer than being married. Mm -hmm. They had a toxic relationship throughout their history of being together that all of a sudden the divorce is amicable. Now, I find this. Well, welcome, but interesting. They had a prenup, didn't they? I don't know. It doesn't mention anything I read. It didn't mention a prenup. I'm pretty sure that they had a prenup. I'm pretty sure that they had a Why prenup. Are you sure? Because I'm almost positive they said it on the show. Okay. All right. Maybe you're right because then no. this, all right, these are questions I was going to ask about their division of assets. So Katie said there'll be no spousal support. One of her quotes was, okay, fine. That, that, that makes sense. Yeah. And even if there was, they've only been married close to three years. Mm-hmm. So how long would the spousal support be on a very short-term marriage? It would, it would be half the length of the marriage, right? So that would be about a year and a half. Okay. So not a long time. But here was going to be my question of you. We saw Tom and Tom open up Tom Tom. Tom yes, yes. Opening up Tom Tom with Lisa and Ken. Yes. And I do recall there were several episodes recently where in in which Tom Schwartz said he had to get a second on the house in order to produce a down payment for the next door spot or <laughs> Sandy and Schwartz, whatever that, that new place. Whatever that thing is going to be so called. He had, yeah, so yeah. he took a second on the house, community property, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in order to open up the bar. How does that affect 
the business now? <clears throat> so, first, I would be shocked if they didn't. I think that they had, they got the house after they were married or during their marriage. I forget. Okay, now this is something else I'm unclear about. We saw the marriage ceremony. Oh. Katie told us they didn't file the paperwork. So in the world of getting married, and everybody knows this, you go to the, a courthouse first, yes. a government building to obtain a marriage license. And that really is your date of marriage. It's not the wedding date, unless there are some religions that it can only be considered the real wedding, maybe in Jewish weddings, you know. Yeah. It'll, it'll be the, um, the, the, yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. (laughs) So they just, and we even heard it shockingly a season ago that out of everybody who was married on the show in the starting cast, Jackson, Brittany, Mm -hmm. um, well, the other Tom, Tom Sandoval was, is not yet married, um, to what is her name? Oh my God. Ariana. Ariana. Who else is married on the show? Stassi. Oh, Sheena. Sheena. Sheena's been married twice. Stassi and she did get a prenup. She and did Stassi. Get a prenup. Stassi had to leave the show because yeah. of cancel culture stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, back to Tom and Katie. And when you have a business, when one of the two people have a, spouses have a business, and you need money to either continue that business or start a second business, and you involve the house, pulling money out of the house, have you not then made the business, even if there was a prenup, have you not somehow made the business community property? You have to really look at the prenup, I know, to see. You have to look at the prenup, and you have to look at how they took the loan out. You have to look at the title of the house. <sighs> Without a prenup, everything would just be community property. Those debts as well. Um, I don't know what the two of them did, but that, ugh, gross. Oh, God, wait a minute, Lamore. Yes. What happened? Debt, I, I, I didn't push my thinking as far as actually paying back the loan. Gross. So you get a second on the house. So, you already, so you're both in it, you know, you owe on the first. Now you get a second on the house and that doesn't go to home improvements. Mm. Putting the kids through college or anything like that. It goes to open up a second business. Oh, that's one right. One spouse is running the business. Now you have two issues, you know. <laughs> I mean, does the other spouse get to be part of the business? Because she's wanted to be part of uh, Schwartz and Sandy. She has wanted, she should have been part. She is the smartest of the three of them. She, of Tom, of the four, Tom, Tom, Ariana, and Katie. Katie is the smartest, the most creative. Um, she should have been part of it, but she wasn't. Now, where it gets even messier is that Tom Tom, he has his portion is shared with Tom Sandoval, right? Correct. This is Tom Schwartz. With Sandoval, but it's also shared with Lisa and all their other investors, right? Okay, so Lisa and Lisa and Ken own 90% because they yeah, said so, on the show. Right. So it's Tom like 10%, down. but it's 5%, and then he takes on a loan for right. 
Sandy and Schwartz, which is whatever that is. And then she also opened up the sandwich shop. Yeah. A girl was here, a girl to remember, a night to remember. I don't know. Some cute name. She had a cute name that I can't remember, but, um, so she also had that. I'm hoping everything is protected by right, different writings, right? But we don't know what they are, but it would be very messy. And this is where you get, you hire a CPA or an actuary or whatever it is to look at all of these accounts, trace all of these accounts. Where did the initial money come from? Is this separate property they earned during Vanderpump pump rules? And they're just putting it in into their different businesses. Is this new money that they got from profits of one business, putting it into the other business, right? And now they're intermingling everything and no one can make sense of anything. But since it's 5%, 7%, 10%, maybe you guys just don't care. Save the attorney fees and call it a day, right? I don't know. I don't know. But that that whole one business with a partner and then a bunch of investors. Then we get married. Then we get a house. Then you do another business. Then I want to do another business. Jesus. Nope. 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 So that is when you literally need to go beyond your attorneys and you need to hire the people that you said, forensics. Yes. Forensics. Yeah. Yeah. It's so very important that you do that right. But at the end of the day, if this is really amicable, as they both have said, you can work out the numbers. You can sit down and work out the numbers and life goes on. They're young people. But I just want to touch on one thing about dividing a business. So let's just say in a normal, a non-celebrity, regular marriage, there's a family business. Only one person really runs it because the other person stays home and raises the children. So that family business, sometimes cash has not been accounted for and everybody was great with it while they were signing the tax returns. But now you're getting divorced. Oh, wait a minute. Uh Uh-uh. We really made a lot more money than it says on the tax return. So you have that issue. And then you have the other issue. And that is, do we divide the value of the business? And if we divide the value of the business, does that allow the person retaining the business to still be able to stay in business? And if there are minor children, pay child support and spousal support, or do we not divide the business and let all of the revenue that is earned through that business be the revenue upon which spousal and child support are paid? Gets tricky. How do you address this? It gets very tricky because you're, you're, you can't double dip right? It can't be the income and dividing the business, right? Is it the income of the business? Can we value the business? Then you have to get a business, someone to come in to value the business. Is there goodwill? Is there a number to that goodwill? Is there a value to the goodwill? Um, so those got tricky too, but you know, I've seen a lot of cases where they cannot agree on how to do this. Do we value the business at date of separation? Do we value the business at time of trial? Do we value the business, um, income separately than, you know, if it's a, if it's a restaurant, let's value the equipment. Do they own the property it's on or are they renting? Let's value all the furnishings. Let's do (sighs) that. And then if we, if we go back to Tom and Katie's situation, was there (laughs) commingling? Listen, 
the way to, there are code sections and case law for almost every different way to do this, right? But if you have a business and you are making money from the business, but it also has a separate value aside, right, from your income and your distributions that you take on, then you would have to do both. But this is another case of do not have your lawyers go through these numbers, please. Do not get a forensic, get a business valuator, get these people to figure out what the real numbers are before you get messy through attorneys because you don't even know what you're fighting for when it comes to these big things until you see the numbers. And it might not be worth fighting over it. And do that early in your case, early in your case to see, is it an issue or is it not? If we commingled $100,000, right? But your attorneys are $1,000 an hour. Maybe you just figure out a number that works for both of you. And you'll commingle your money with your attorney. And you'll make even more money. There we go. There we go. And sometimes, you know, some people say, I'd rather give the money to my attorney. Some people do say that. The venue. Yeah. that And it blows my mind when I hear that because, my God, my God. But okay. All right. If that's the way, you know. And and the reason I, I support what you said about get it done as soon as possible because mm-hmm. you don't really know what you're fighting for. How do you know that there aren't hidden loans against the business that your spouse didn't even want to talk about? Maybe the business wasn't doing well. He or she didn't want to concern you with the kids. And when you really pull the Band-Aid off, what, there may not be a lot to fight for. Yep. Yeah, I tell people that all the time. And it really comes down to numbers. You know, what number makes it worth it for you to fight? You really should figure this out. Um, Yeah, Yeah. and what number can you prove? What is the evidence? I understand you never went, you you never wanted for nothing, right? You, all the bills were paid. Anytime you use your credit card, it worked. I get it. But once you file for divorce, you might end up at Rite Aid and your card gets declined, right? So let's actually figure out your ex told you that they were making 5 million a year. You believed it because your expenses are so high. 50% of the time when the divorce starts, everyone is bankrupt. No one has any money. No one's businesses are thriving any longer, right? So let's get the evidence, right? Because if you can't prove it in court, whole different story, whole different story. Yeah. And I just had a discussion the other night with a forensic accountant and I said, can every, because when you have a forensic, you have complicated stuff. Yes. Yes. And this forensic works with one of the biggest firms. And I was saying to her, does every judge have the ability to process this information that can be staggering and confusing when you get all these financial people on the stand? And she said, you know, that's really tricky because if a judge can't do it, the judge should recuse him or herself. Um, maybe you're new in family law. And as we know, Lamore, shockingly so, when, when lawyers get judgeships, they may not be assigned in the area of law in which they have practiced. 
oh, they usually aren't. And family law is no one's first choice. Everyone wants to be a judge in, in a criminal court. Nobody wants to be in family law. Nobody wants to be in traffic court. And everyone knows that, right? They don't want to be there. I or it wasn't their that. first choice. What'd you say? I didn't know that because it's so hard. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of drama. Yeah. It's a lot of drama and it encompasses every area of the law. Yeah. Everything, right? But I don't agree that. So here's the thing. Judges, right? If you have a, if you're bringing a case and you need, it's a, the time estimate is a couple of days. They might punt it to a different calendar, right? A long cost calendar, another courtroom. You might not have your home court judge because of whatever the issues are. Um, But you might have to stay in that courtroom where your home court judge doesn't know a lot. But it is up to the attorney to make it easy to follow for the judge. Give the judge the background they need to, to award what you're asking for, to give you the relief your client wants. Make it easy to follow for anyone. Make it so that a fifth grader can come in and your forensic is explaining their charts and their graphs in English right? Make it so easy to digest that the judge will grant whatever you're asking. So even if it's complicated or whatever it is, you know, not all of these cases in LA, we see them more, but not all of them have a forensic, right? But in that month, that judge might see two cases that are very similar and have 10 attorneys on each side, dueling forensics, dueling reports, all of that. And, you know, You can't blame them for not knowing every single thing, but they're doing it by the law, right? They have to follow the law. They need to present the case in a way where anyone can understand why they they, uh, chose your side or whatever it is, gave you your relief. You know, there a judge that I have a monthly meeting with. um, He meets with my colleagues and myself, legal document assistants, and we bring our cases to him. We don't name names. We don't give case numbers. We just ask him questions about things that maybe we haven't dealt with before. And um, he said, I was asking him about a request for order. Somebody wanted to really slam the other uh, person. And he said, give me a page and a half, make it, drill it down so a five-year-old can understand it so that all I have to say is give me a pen, where do I sign? It's that easy to read. But what happens is, depending on the attorneys that you choose, the more expensive they are, I have inherited these clients who can no longer afford $1,000 an hour attorneys. Mm. And I look at what they have previously filed. And the briefs, the documentation is so huge. It's like 100 pages. You don't give the judge a fighting chance. So your attorney may look good to you because they're doing all of this work. But you have to understand there's a human being called a judge sitting in a stand that has very little time to process what you're just asking him or her to understand and see it your way. They can't even make a dent in a 10 or 15 page declaration. Absolutely. Absolutely. You want to be there and say, Your Honor, what we're asking for, if you've read our paperwork, it's on page two, is this specific relief. It is based on the chart 
that's on exhibit A. So if you flip to exhibit A, the reason we're asking for this number is what's in this part of the chart right here. And that's what our forensic can explain if the court needs it. If you have made that chart easy to understand, if you have given the court bullet points for all of your main arguments, that will be a cakewalk in court, a cakewalk in court, right? As, yeah. as far as just getting your point across, right? But if you are, you know, <laughs> a stack of papers, oh my God, you're right though. A lot of attorneys just do that and the clients think they're getting their money's worth, but. Yeah, you know, you, and I had a client who had uh -huh. the highest priced attorneys yeah. in Los Angeles and she lost every single hearing. It was a paternity case, which is actually my segue for our last case yeah. with Bella Kent and yeah. Randy Emmett. But I said to her, I was in one of these meetings with this judge and I said, look, I understand how emotional this is. You've been in court for 14 years, paternity case. She's been in court longer than I've been working in family law. And this was the first time she was initiating She's always been the respondent in these hearings. Now she was the petitioner in the hearings mm -hmm. and it was her time to speak. And I said, look, right. I totally understand. And at the end of the day, you get to make your decisions with me. Well, you even get to make your decisions with attorneys. You know, you can trump an attorney and say, no, 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 I want it this way. And absolutely, all the right guidance, it has to be their way. And I just said, in real life, I want you to think about all these different briefs, all these different declarations that all of these wonderful attorneys wrote for you. Did you ever win in any one of these hearings? No. I said, so just think about what the judge said a minute. Just think about, make it simple, make it easy, make it short, make me say, where's the pen? Where do you want me to sign? I get it done. Yep. And I just, because it's so emotional going to court. These family law battles that people get in consume them mm -hmm. to the point where they're, they're not able to think rationally and take some advice straight from a judge's mouth and use it to their best interest. And I don't think that particular hearing turned out well for her. But yeah. let's go into Lala Kent and Randall mm -hmm. Emmett. They're not married. They're not married. They were going to get married. Mm -hmm. They're not. And they had a child. Mm -hmm before they were going to get married. So we have a paternity case here. I really appreciated, Lamore, what you said when you were doing the, um, the Super Bowl rapper's divorce. And we were talking about 50 Cent, I believe. And paternity case. He has children, but he was not married to any of the women. Mm. And here's what you said. I'll never forget it. And then a case came up, two cases. You said the father should absolutely file a paternity case because if there's ever a question of where the kids should go, something happens, the police are involved, they'll go right with the mother and you are disadvantaging yourself. That's exactly right. Yes. Always, always. When moms ask me and it's a paternity case, I'm like, you can wait until you're not, you know, once you don't have any control over what's how the visits are and if dad is disturbing something, you know, then go to court. But if you have all the control, which most of them do, why would you file? Unless it's for child support. But with dads, I say 
file as soon as possible. Let the court know you want to be involved and let the court know, let the court establish parentage so that if, God forbid, like you said, the cops are involved or whatever it is, they will be able to figure something out and actually be able to give you the child if it is your visitation day or whatever. You need that documentation because you need to prove to the officers that it's your day, right? That it's your time to be with the kids. Yes. Thank you. I mean, that really, that was eye-opening for me. I had not thought about it that way and nobody had ever said it. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated that because then I got a couple cases towards that end. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Um, let's go to paternity. So dad should file. Well, you also made an exceptional comment about using social media when you're involved in a divorce or any kind of family law case. This may not work in your best interest if you're harshly posting on social media. Well, Lala has a podcast mm-hmm. and she's talking about Randall. And oh, what is she saying? Oh, what is she saying? I haven't heard her podcast. I haven't either. I'm just because re- I cause we work for a living, so we <laughs> don't you love? I love when people send me certain things, and <laughs> or even during the Johnny Depp trial, they'll say, "Did you hear him say this?" And I'll be like, "I, I am two hours behind on the testimony because I have to work. It's on pause. I'll hear it eventually." <laughs> yeah, I know, and I and this is a podcast, so for me to say no, I haven't listened to these people's podcasts. I can't, so yeah. I just have to read some written documentation. Okay. Okay. But apparently, Randall has been leading a double life. I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> Lala actually said the only reason, I can't believe I'm saying this, the only reason I felt comfortable going into a trusting relationship with him was because he's not good looking and I am. And I felt that he would appreciate the fact that I started a relationship with him this isn't anything good to say, is it? I mean, you are—you created not- a child with somebody that you think should be beholden to you because you're better looking than him. Only it in is, L.A.? It, only in L.A. And it is so wrong in every way. It is first, uh, uh, we live in a world where Beyonce and Halle Berry have been cheated on. They have? Wait a minute. Beyonce has been cheated on? Yes. Okay. I'm shocked. I love Beyonce. Yes. Okay, go ahead. And Lala Kent thinks that a man will stay because she's hot. Has she met men? Especially, listen, here's the thing. She's the first one to say, I I will only be with men if they're rich. Right? She always talks about he's rich, he's rich, he's rich. So this is not, these are not, this is not a dynamic that is, I am with this person because they would make the best father to my children. We have such a healthy relationship. They treat me like gold. I treat him like gold. I respect him. You're talking about looks? Looks? Are you serious? Wow. Okay. There's no one who is so hot that, that you can change someone's behavior just because you look a certain way. It's just, you might get the person because you're hot. She got this person because she's hot. But there are other women just like her 
right? There are a dime a dozen and the men with the money are a dime a dozen too. Those are not things that, that make a relationship. So, uh, what a, I know uh, it, it, what it was, thing to say that's sad. It, it, it was a little disturbing. It's disturbing. So, yeah. But I don't know whether she's talked about the relationship on the podcast and what really happened. Let, let's just do devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Let's just sh- say she has shared the things that made her leave him. Okay. Does this factor into a paternity case when it comes to custody rulings and visitation rulings? It depends how you present it to the court and it depends exactly what she says, right? So if she says he cheated on me and I found out because he was never home, right? Well, that might be helpful to show that he's never been around the kid, right? Mm, so maybe okay. that'll be helpful. Okay. If she says, I'm so hot, right? And he still cheated on me and I had no clue because he was always around and he was always this. Well, then you just admitted he was always around. <laughs> okay. All right. That's right? We're, we're looking at the relationship, the child. We're looking at two things right? Well, obviously we're looking at the child's best interest. Within that, two of the things that we're looking at are the co-parenting relationship, right? So if she's saying him and I never get along and he was out with this girl and I saw it online and she's not as hot as me, so he doesn't get to see our baby. Well, then maybe we want to give him custody because he'll facilitate no matter if you're with another dude or not. But you, you know, if you're just, if it's just revenge against him, right? He can't see the baby, then maybe we don't want to give you custody. Um, and another part of it is what is the status quo and the relationship between the, each parent and the child, right? So if she's divulging those things on the podcast and they possibly, you know, they go to court and she's saying something different, he could use the recordings to say something different, right? If she goes to court and says he's never been around, but in her podcast, maybe she said he was always around. I had no idea he was cheating on me. He always told me I was so beautiful, right? You would use it to impeach her, right? You can do that. Um, but, you know, it would be evidence for him, not for her. She could just repeat what she said on the co- podcast on the record in court. doesn't have to be from her podcast, but he could, she should be careful because he could use whatever she's saying on there against her. Well, that's what I was wondering because Kanye has come out recently this week saying that the family is not safe without him being around. Oh, I didn't know he said that. Yes. That was just the other day. That was a quote from him. And I said, you know, that's very interesting because of all the mental health issues that have come out. And I mean, how unsafe are the Kardashians for what you want to say about them? And by the way, I've kept up with them and I say nothing wrong. I say nothing negative about them. I'm the first in line to support the fact that people are making a living for heaven's sakes. They're, they're great. What is the, the only negative thing people say is that they're, they're too hot to be smart. Okay. <laughs> well, you don't make that kind of money if you're not okay. smart. Yeah. 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 It's, listen, if they ever did anything wrong, they need to be held accountable for. I would be the first to say it. But those are not people that we need to, you know, ridicule and scrutinize the way that everyone does. There, there's nothing there. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate meeting yeah. A kindred spirit on this <laughs> There's just I nothing there. If there was, it'd be a lot juicier than what they wore. It's just not there. 
Thank you. So back to using social media mm-hmm. to talk about your relationship when you're going to end up in court asking somebody else to make decisions on your relationship. The result of it, um, yes, if she talks about it, if she actually talks about it, we know paternity cases are not public record. Right. He's just made it public record. Mm, that's a great point. Great point. Yes. Should I be with his attorneys arguing his case? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know what? The way that she goes so hard publicly, right? We know that from the, from the, from the show with, with everything, right? She goes really, really hard. She goes for the jugular. She's very public. I would think that Randall, if he was really living a double life, he would not want to go against her in court because she would just say, she would say it in court. She would come out. If there's a microphone, someone wants an interview, she'll talk about it. Right. She doesn't have to talk about it. Right. So I probably wouldn't want to be in court with her if I were him. Right. Depending on the facts surrounding this double life, but he could certainly use every single thing she said on the show and every single thing she said on the podcast and every single thing she said on social media against her. If, the facts are, you know, if there is something to use against her. And she can also use his text messages, right? I don't think he's that big on social media, but, you know, he had that thing with 50 Cent and 50 Cent revealed their, um, their text messages, right? So, you know, she could use his text messages if he's ever said anything. Can he get a temporary or any kind of a restraining order against her uh, talking about it on the air, talking about him? Uh, while they may have some court stuff waiting? So you can get orders not to disparage one another in front of the child. Their child's really little. Um, I have seen judges say it's a violation of the First Amendment not to be able to talk about your case publicly. So I don't know. You You could change the language. And if listen, if someone signs off on it, why not? Of course, people have NDAs with this stuff too. Yeah, I was wondering if there's mm-hmm. any, are there any family codes? Are there any legal references that would say in a confidential case, in a case that is not public record, can it be exposed publicly in some form of medium? I would think there would be I would, something. I would think that there would be something. And we could also always attempt to seal a public case too. Um, and judges absolutely can tell can tell parties not to speak publicly about certain things, right? Um, and parties can always agree to whatever they want, whatever they want. People make these requests all the time. It's just really up to the judge whether or not they get granted. Have, do you know if they filed for a paternity case yet? Have you read <laughs> anything like that? I haven't. I haven't either. I don't know really where it's at right now, other than they're not going to get married. And they do have an infant, probably around one year old at this point. Yeah. He, he might just be paying her rent or something. And they've told her, you know, that's way more than you'll ever get in child support. Maybe just sit pretty. But I don't know. But I, ha- I don't recall hearing anything about a filed case. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. So the takeaway on this then is fathers get busy and file a case because you're jeopardizing yourself. Yeah. 
and moms, not so much so, unless there's a serious reason why. Maybe you need to do a move. Oh, you can move away. Wait a minute. No paternity case, uh-huh. not married. Can mom move away on her own if she wants to with the kids? Moms do it all the time. They do it all the time. And that's when you get a dad who calls and says, mom said she was going on vacation with our kid. Everything was fine. I let her go. And never returned. Never returned. Never returned. Dad will make that initial call to an attorney. Will not take action. Six months passed. They tried to file in their original state. That's not going to work. We now have jurisdiction because mom came to California, right? Right? So you have to file here or mom has to file here. And then that's a whole shit show. If someone doesn't live in the state and they have to get an attorney and all of that, it's such a shit show. But happens all the time moms and dads do that all the time with no court orders. They will go to the place they want to move. They will tell the other person, I'm just on vacation. We're just visiting my parents this month. We're just going to stay here the whole summer. We're just doing this. We're just doing that. Well, six months passed. That other state has jurisdiction. I guess you could file, but what are you going to say? The status quo is now that they have lived here for six months with the other parent and you never even got a visit because you thought they were coming back. It's a horrible situation. Happens all the time. Is six months that number that if you exceed it or go under it, it makes or breaks jurisdiction? Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. Yes. That's good. That That's really good to know too. Yeah. I will just end this by saying a quote from Randall Emmett. He said, uh, well, actually addressing what um, Lala said, I believe believe my awareness of his other life or that there was something wrong in this relationship started after I got sober. I just didn't see it before. Okay, well, that's a re- that we do see life differently when we're so sober versus not sober. And then Emmett's response, or Randall's response was, both parties were at fault throughout the relationship. Well, we do know that Lala had an issue with alcohol because she talked about it quite a lot on on uh, various seasons. That become yep. part of that became part of her story. So great that she's sober. Excellent. This is wonderful. I don't know what his status is. It was never discussed that he had any substance abuse issues. I don't remember that. No. Okay. Um, so great that she's sober now. If you're not and you're listening, get sober, please. Um, and you have a case like this. But um, with what you've heard thus far, if it went to court, is there any way of even projecting in your wildest dreams what the standing could be in terms of joint custody? versus sole custody between these two between these two and people similar situations so from what i remember randall travels a lot and randall has a lot of businesses going you know just going on all at the same time and i think what would happen is probably joint legal custody probably primary physical custody with mom and then visits whenever dad's in town, something like that. Okay. I think Randall's in the film, film, film business too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. You know, paternity is tricky. It really, Oh, 
one last thing and then we're going to conclude. Mediation agreements. So I don't know if you run into this, but I run into this all the time as a mediator. We're not married. We really don't want to go to court. We have children. Let's do a mediation agreement and then let's file it. Uh, I said, well, no, even if you had an open case, you can't file a mediation agreement. The court won't accept it. There's the cloak of confidentiality that really encases it. Uh, And mediation agreements are on the honor system. Mm -hmm. So this is a difficult position to be in as a mediator. I'd like you to comment on this as an attorney. I can't push anybody to file a case. But it would be wrong for me to do that. So separately talking to them, I got a sense for where they were in terms of filing. Uh, She wants to file, but is holding back because if it works out in mediation, which it kind of looks like it is, she's okay not filing. Well, at least that's what is said. But he's reluctant to file. And I did say to him, why don't you listen to the podcast interview with Lamore <laughs> about the Super Bowl? She really addresses this. And so it's different than me saying it. I, I wanted to go to an outside source to really address this. And I want you to just say it in conclusion one more time. Who should be filing paternity and why? Fathers absolutely should be filing paternity cases because you have not established parentage in the eyes of the court and the law until you have that court order establishing parentage. You may have signed the voluntary declaration of parentage in the hospital, but if God forbid it's a situation where the cops are coming, right? And they need to pull you guys apart and the kid needs to go somewhere. Mom will most likely be the one that stays with the child because you don't have a court order. Okay. What if somebody, dad comes to you and says, we have a mediation agreement, but it's being breached here and there a little bit. Um, What can we do with this mediation agreement? File a case and then file a request for order for custody and visitation and let the court know the status quo is this. You don't need to present the mediation agreement if there's some confidentiality terms on it or whatever it is. You don't need to do that. You just let the court know, since this date, this is what we followed. Okay. Right? That is the status quo. It's good. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You just let the court know what the status quo is from what date and then let the court know why you want to change it. And they can, in the declaration that comes with a request for order attached Mm -hmm. to a parentage case, well, there's even a declaration in a parentage case. Um, You can literally take the terms out Mm -hmm. of the mediation agreement without referencing the mediation agreement and say, this is what we had decided on. It was working for a while. Now it's not working. I can't see my child. Or "This this was a very important point to our agreement and it's not being adhered to. And, and we need to deal with it. And that's it. Yeah. You just mentioned what has gone on and why isn't it okay. working anymore. All right. That's really good advice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this has been really long, but this has been fascinating. As always, it's so fun and we, we don't Thank know when you. to stop. <laughs> <laughs> 
And there's always so much to talk about with these cases. So Lawyer Lamore, you have made it super easy for people to get in touch with you. Say how it is, and it's also going to be in the show notes. Thank you. So Lawyer Lamore on all social media, Instagram, TikTok, just Lawyer, L-A-W-Y-E-R, L-I-M-O-R. And Lamore is spelled L-I-M-O-R. Yep. Lawyer Lamore. I love this. I actually love thank it. You. <laughs> thank you so much uh, for joining again. It's always a delight. You're a wealth of information and fun. <laughs> thank you. This is so fun. I love it. We had so many different cases. I know. There was a lot going on. Yeah. Thank you. And thank all of you for listening. As always, I appreciate it. I hope this was valuable information to everybody listening. And if you know anybody that could learn from this episode, please share it with them. You can always bring new ideas for topics to me through my email, judith at theamicable.com divorceexpert.com judith at theamicabledivorceexpert.com and as always have an amicable day that's our show for today thank you for joining us be good to yourselves be kind to your spouse and cherish your children above all else 